Welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan, and joining me today is Craig. Hello. And Susie. Hello. And later in the show, we'll have an interview with George Schraub. So stick around for that. We've got a couple of quick news items. Susie, you want to talk about fossil fuels on demand. Uh, so this is a very secretive US biotech company um, called uh, Jewel Unlimited, who've received a patent for a genetically engineered cyanobacterium that um, they say produces liquid hydrocarbons. So they say they've managed to um, engineer the this, um, cyanobacterium to produce different hydrocarbons, they say diesel fuel, jet fuel and gasoline. And so it's going to allow you to make fossil fuels on demand from nothing, is what they say. Um, and reserve judgment, basically. They haven't... Um, they haven't published anything, so it's hard to say. How would these? Uh, how would the bacteria be tuned to produce these different types of fuel? I don't know that. And because they haven't published anything. Yeah, because they are they they photosynthesize, so they say that they don't need any raw materials except for the sun. So, so you're not going to get very much then at any one time. Probably you'll have to you'll have to tow around this big trailer with a vat full of. So, so um, solar converter technology makes the manufacture of liquid fossil fuels 50 times as efficient as biofuel production and requires nothing, requires nothing, <laughs> no um, dependence on raw materials, land, crops or fresh water. Well, the question I've been hearing that people seem to be wondering is, is it going to scale up? Is it actually going to be viable? And why haven't the oil companies shut them down? <laughs> And suppress the technology. <laughs> That's a very good question. Yeah, I don't know. Just because it seems like the obvious question to ask, it is plausible. As a microbiologist, the thing that I know that bugs are really good at doing is is taking a raw material and converting it into something. I don't know about these um, photosynthesizing ones. I mean, normally it would be if you gave them a carbon source, they if you gave them the right genes to um, to allow them to engineer diesel fuel, they could they could presumably do that. So these are bacteria that actually don't eat any food, but they just live off the sun, the sun's energy. That's what photosynthesizing ones do, yeah. That'd be nice if it works. And uh, let's just say we're all cautiously optimistic. You need to know more, I think. But what are the odds, though, that they can actually give us any more information, given that it's a private company? (laughs) I would say odds are very low. How do we get this information out to begin with? Well, this is because the patent, I guess the patent ah, right. stuff is all, um, is all accessible. Public domain, yeah. right. Yeah. They've got a lot of impressive people on board, from, it sounds like, on their sort of directors and stuff. People you've heard of? Or? Oh, just they, just they have some scientists and they have some... They've got PhDs. Um, <laughs> people, no, not people I've heard of, but they, it does look like they have some scientists and stuff. Okay, and Susie again, you're talking about the placebo effect, when you know it's a placebo. This is really exciting. This is a paper published in an open access journal called Plus One, uh, called Placebos Without Deception, a randomised controlled trial in irritable bowel syndrome. Um, So previously there has been, there is some evidence that um, placebo works quite well for treatment of irritable bowel syndrome. Um, but I guess the problem people, doctors have with placebo is, is that you're essentially lying to your uh, patient. 
And so a group of people decided to do another trial where they actually explained to them that this was a placebo, but to see whether that had any effect. It's very clever. So what they've done is they've, um, they've taken uh, two groups um, in a three-week trial. Um, it was 80 mostly women, because basically women mostly are the ones who get um, irritable bowel syndrome. And then they were randomized into two groups and they were told that they were um, going to be given a placebo pill made of an inert substance like sugar that have been shown in clinical studies to produce significant improvements in IBS symptoms through mind-body self-healing processes. Well, that sounds very mystical, doesn't it? Anyway, the findings were that this, what they've called an open-label placebo, produced significantly higher improvement scores than, than the... Um, than the, than the placebo, the placebo. placebo. <laughs> so was this a placebo-controlled trial? <laughs> Presumably. It doesn't make much sense, does it? That knowing that you were getting something that wasn't going to have any effect would actually make you better. I don't know if I'd say that, actually. I think, actually, it, I think it makes sense to me. It's not clear to me whether they gave the second group they say no treatment controls with the same quality of interaction. So maybe the, the other group didn't maybe, actually get yeah. a sugar pill. No, sorry, okay, so... They didn't, so the two groups were the placebo that they knew was a placebo twice daily or no treatment, but that they got some interaction. That's interesting. See, so, I would have given one group a placebo, I think. Perhaps they didn't have enough patients, because at least this way they've got, you know, 40 patients in each group. The implication is you can still tell somebody it's a placebo and it will work, but this means that doctors don't have to lie to their patients, which is quite exciting. Okay, and the next... News item is adverse effects of acupuncture. So this is a paper that's been published by Edzard Ernst. So um, he is and some Chinese scientists have done a systematic review of the Chinese literature to look at um, adverse events from acupuncture. So they've basically systematically reviewed um, Chinese language literature, which we wouldn't basically be able to read, by searching three Chinese databases. Um, and then looked at case reports, case series, um, etc., uh, and had a look at whether they reported any adverse effects. So they have looked at 115 articles that reported 479 cases of adverse effects with acupuncture. 14 patients died, um, and the events were classified into three categories, traumatic, infectious, and other. Um, most frequent effects were pneumothorax, so it's basically collapsing people's lungs, um, fainting, hemorrhages, and infection. So now, we have been, talked about this before, but it wasn't yeah, this particular paper. It might have so been an article, because I remember asking the question about pneumothorax, and I didn't think that the needles would penetrate that deep. I wonder what the uh, legislative environment in China is around actually having to report adverse effects. They say that most of these were due to improper so the acupuncturists need better training. Which I think is what we said about the last, last article as well. And oversight and whatnot. <coughs> so, now this next one's a big shocker and a huge surprise. Apparently, the Wakefield autism studies are a fraud. <laughs> so this is a very interesting um, move by the British Medical Journal, who are the journal who didn't publish Andrew Wakefield's Lancet study. So I've been told that... Um, Wakefield originally sent his his Lancet paper to the BMJ and they rejected it. And then he sent it to the Lancet field and they accepted it. So in the scheme of things, how does the British Medical Journal rate as opposed to the Lancet, I mean, which is the more prestigious journal? 
Oh, I think they're both pretty up there. Well, there's always been quite a um, competition between the two. And at the time, the, v the VMJ apparently rejected it, presumably on the basis of the reviewer's comments, which of course have never been made public. Or um, just on the fact that it's a load of bollocks. Yeah, well, but that would have come from the That would have come from the, the reviewer, reviews. wouldn't it? Okay. Yeah. And my source said that um, because of basically the competition at the time, the Lancet knew that this was going to be a controversial and highly cited, you know, it was, going to, it was going to boost the Lancet. And that was why he believed that the Lancet ran with it when the BMJ... So they published it because the other one didn't? Well, that has oh, that's, been that's an the accusation. Elite. That's the allocation, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, so, and apparently it was years before the editor of the BMJ at the time said, you know, actually we did reject this paper. Anyway, but now, so now the BMJ has um, both written an editorial saying that this guy, uh, that Wakefield's um, work was fraudulent, but they've gone one, so this is to introduce the fact that they have, uh, well, I'm not sure commission's the right word, they've got Brian Deere, who was the journalist who basically outed Wakefield, um, who, you know, who, who uncovered all his stuff about the uh, papers he had on the vaccine and all this kind of stuff. Um, he was the one who um, found the, looked at the children's medical d medical records and then compared that with what he said about the children in the Lancet. Yeah, found they didn't match up. Like, you know, for instance, Andrew Wakefield said all the kids developed autism after uh, MMR. The doctor's records showed that actually most of the children were already being were already suspected of being autistic before the MMR stuff. Like that. Anyway, but so it's interesting. So the BMJ basically got him to write three articles um, about about all of this, and um, this, this so there's some so I think this is this is good because this moves his work, which is available on his website, but it now means that all his stuff is. Uh, is on the scientific um, databasing things. So now, if you put in MMR Wakefield, you come up with Brian Deere's stuff on 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 PubMed and things like this, which is really interesting. And then, but then we've had other people who've been saying this is nonsense. You know, why the hell are the BMJ, this premier journal, allowing this man to write? You know, it's not a scientific thing. But then the BMJ and the Lancet are not. You know, they publish case studies, they publish opinions by doctors. So why not publish? Yeah. Stuff by the journalist who was basically found. Does he have any scientific qualifications? No, no, not as far as I know. He's a journalist. Um, so it's not normal for the journals to publish articles by journalists. No, that's definitely not normal. They would, they would normally publish. You know, um, I, it might have even been the PMJ that published a fabulous paper a few, well, maybe before Christmas or something, about. Uh, whether the weight of your bicycle had an effect on your speed to work. And it was basically a clinician who um, had who was timing his trips to work over the period of a year and so and on a normal bicycle and then on a on a lightweight bike. And you know, so it was it was really well written. It was a kind of, you know, a subject of one <laughs> not double blind. No, no, not double blind. But, not you know, blinded but did the, at all. But did, the, but did the journey like alternating, but or randomising whether they picked another anyway? And they did it really well. But the comments afterwards, you know, they were basically people saying, "Oh, um, 
I would really like to be involved in this study, but my wife won't let me buy a cheaper. Uh, uh, won't let me <laughs> to buy have two a, bikes. <laughs> one of these expensive um, bicycles. Anyway, so they have published um, other stuff, which is vaguely amusing, but but there's some seriousness to it. But this is this maybe this is an interesting move, though, and there are some people who say this is ridiculous. But I believe his stuff was sent out for peer review. Although, how you peer review the fact that he's an investigative journalist and he found this stuff. I don't know. Well, presumably he's making some comments in his article, like, this is not correct. A peer review process would be able to say, well, actually, it kind of is, or you got these facts wrong. He's kind of like a reviewer, actually, publishing his review, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Because you can't say that his... You can't talk about his methodology or anything. You can't talk about his data because his data was, you know, I mean, it's not... You can't say, oh, you did that experiment wrong or something, because that's not what he did. He went and he found, you know, medical records and stuff. So... I can see why people are criticising it, but I also think it's actually really important to put it to, to make stuff accessible in the scientific literature. So um, that was really because it, it, a lot of the stuff came up at the at the um, the the hearing, the General Medical Council hearing, where Andrew Wake put this stuff on. What's really interesting is that this this doesn't seem to be a huge story in the UK, but is a crazy story in the States, and the anti-vaxxers are leapt on him and um on and the criticisms Deere. yeah on Brian right. Deere. And, and so they're saying you know this is outrageous that this man and, and they're really they're really trying to muddy him it's really interesting so they're doing things like saying you know the fact that the bmj is sort of run by it's like the union of doctors and so clearly they have an ulterior motive um brian deer has been supported by um a former mp in the uk so, name that logical fallacy. <laughs> is this an ad hominem attack? Or a but, poisoning the well? Yeah, the well, but yeah. They're, they're basically attacking him by saying, you know, he's aligned by a doctor, so clearly this guy, you know, none, no, nobody can, you know, everyone should be not... Everyone should be sceptical of what he's saying. Yeah, basically, apart from... You know what I think is interesting about that is it actually raises the possibility in the future for other people that are getting their work published in the BMJ or the Lancet, that their work might be reviewed and have a, an article published by an investigative journalist, it just, I think, it possibly adds that extra level of, of keeping them honest. I just, I think, I think science is changing. So, the, well, the, the reporting of science is changing. I mean, the fact that, you know, like with the arsenical bugs, you know, within days these papers can be blown apart by experts. You know, so different from just a few years ago. So it's got to be a good thing. It's got to be a good thing. She says, gritting her teeth. Um, but no, very interesting. But any investigative journalists out there, don't look at your work, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to read my papers. <laughs> uh, so you want to just quickly tell us about the anti-evolution bill? In, let's see, um, is it in America? <laughs> it in is. the Midwest? Somewhere? <laughs> Oklahoma Texas or something? Sally Kern proposes bill that forces teachers to question evolution and climate change. Climate science, sorry. Um, so this isn't the first time that Republican Sally Kern has, um, has tried to put forward a bill. Let me guess, she's a creationist. Uh, well, <laughs> um, so this bill is basically... The Scientific Education and Academic Freedom Act. <laughs> it's going to be considered next month. Um, 
and it will require the state and local authorities to assist teachers to find more effective ways to present the science curriculum where it addresses scientific controversies and permit teachers to help students understand, analyze, critique, and review the scientific strengths and weaknesses of existing theories. Um, it mentions biological evolution, the chemical origins of life, global warming, and human cloning as its things that should be. Um, so it's just the usual thing of kind of being sad uh, in saying, you know, these things are controversies when... Not. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, her last bill was, um, obviously didn't get through, um, but who knows. Um, so that brings us to Woo Zealand. First one would be about the power balance band. Uh, and this was uh, an article in the Dominion Post. Apparently the power balance bracelets are a scam, uh, which of course isn't news. But what's interesting is that the company has admitted it. Um, the company wrote, We admit that there is no credible scientific evidence that supports our claims. Full stop. It also agreed to give refunds to customers who believe they were cheated, um, which I don't think is going to uh, affect them terribly much because it would require the customers actually writing in and demanding a refund. Yeah, I, I wonder, I wonder how, how aware people who go and buy those sorts of things are, are of these stories. It would be quite nice if uh, everywhere that sold them now had to have this little printout by, the, by where you sell them. Or stickers on the boxes or something. That would be the thing, to take the placebo band back and ask... <laughs> get a refund. <laughs> get a refund for the, the real one. Nice. The Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast does not endorse <laughs> that would be the fraud. taking back of your <laughs> placebo band. Anyway, well, only if you're going to send the money to... Unless you send us the money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or buy more bands. Good idea. Because then you could buy, like, 30 bands. And, oh, I... This is cool. We still don't endorse that, though. We did not. removal of power bands. I think they'd probably catch on eventually. And Craig was going to talk about UFOs. You saw a UFO, and no, you're now I a believer. <laughs> no, I have not seen a UFO, and I've been looking. But uh, no, the, the New Zealand Department of Defence have finally released all the files that they have about uh, uh, UFO sightings in New Zealand. No, this was a couple of months ago. That happened, yes, I yes. Think. So it was it was just before Christmas last year, um, and the the people who've been prompting them to do this um, are a group called UFOCUS New Zealand. Boy, I'm not sure how you meant to pronounce that. UFOCUS New Zealand. Um, you can you can have a look at their website www.ufocus.org.nz, um, and the there are a couple of people involved. The the prime a uh, person seems to be a woman by the name of Suzanne Hansen. Um, they call themselves a research network, uh, but they do, really do seem to be uh, sort of a proponent of the idea that UFOs are, in fact, flying saucers. Um, if you go to their website, their, their logo across the top of the screen is, um, is the planet Earth with New Zealand featured prominently and a, a flying saucer uh, <laughs> in the graphic. So I think there's trying to come to this conclusion. Um, so possibly they're not an impartial... No, I don't think so. Although it, it is actually interesting looking around their site. I mean, they, they do have a, a couple of pa a page where uh, entitled Reality Check, uh, where they say, well, it might be the planet Venus or... Uh, That's interesting. Or, 
Yeah, yeah. So they kind of have uh, maybe some token scepticism there, but um, they 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 essentially have a page where they've listed all the um, sightings that have occurred in, over the years. And in fact, I looked at the 2010 sighting page, and there were literally probably three or four dozen sightings from around New Zealand of people seeing lights in the sky and describing what was what they saw and so on. And, and generally, they're just um, it's like an orange light in the sky or or things like that. So yeah, it's kind of hard to um, kind of hard to figure out exactly what they could be. Um, and I guess the default position is really we, we don't know. The, the, uh, the, the really interesting one was probably the most famous sighting was back in 1978, uh, December 1978, the Kaikoura UFO. The lights, uh, Kaikoura lights. Yeah, so essentially there was a, a freight plane that was flying um, to Christchurch and they saw some lights out the window of the plane and um, were, were sort of being supposedly tailed by these lights and it all sort of blew up into a big story. There was um, a, a camera crew from uh, Channel 10 in Australia came over um, and went on a plane a few days later and actually managed to get some footage of these lights and there's so they Huge. hung around these... Uh, yeah, well, apparently so, yes, oh. yes. And, and they've been sort of analysed. And really, I was having a look at some web pages today and they just go into such amazing detail about what this could have been. And I thought we knew what it was. I thought there was a punchline you were coming to. No, no, was we it was the fishing boats. Well, some people think it's, it was squid boats. The way the squid fishing boats worked, I don't know whether they still work this way, but... Uh, Back in at least back in the late seventies, there were um, fleets of um, squid fishing boats from Japan, and essentially to attract the squid to the surface so they can catch them, they have to have these very bright lights. So they have several hundred watts of no, sorry, several hundred kilowatts of bright lights shining on the surface of the ocean to try and attract the squid up in the middle of the night to so that they think it's daytime and go and catch the squid. Um, so, I mean, that was one of the, the, the theories that, that it could have been um, squid boat lights. But that doesn't seem very plausible to me. Uh, but having read some of the stuff on the web about it, it's just people have obviously devoted huge amounts of time to try and figure out what this was. And, and, and so I what guess. do the files say then? Nothing, really. Yeah, the, the reaction from... Um, the, the organisation, they'd been lobbying for a couple of years, so I, I take that to mean harassing <laughs> the, the Defence Department to try and get the, these um, papers released. Um, they'd been yeah, lobbying them for a couple of years, and so they said there's around, around about 12 files, and there were quite a lot of information in there, but they are uh, uh, saying that they think that there are some papers missing, obviously suppressing information. Of course, of course. Um, the... the there really is some interesting stuff around. The the, um, the main woman who is running this, by the name of Suzanne Henson, um, I, I kind of looked her up, and in fact, um, she is sort of associating herself with, with the true believer community. And in fact, if we like, we could go and see her in May, because in May there is 
the new Spirit Festival 2011, which is going to be on at the North Harbour Function Centre on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, Saturday the 30th of April and Sunday the 1st of May. And what does that cost? Well, in fact, they have a preview day, which is free. So we could go on. Now, there's a, they got an astrologer to make some predictions about the day. A miraculous May day. This weekend resonates with emotional renewal. Moon and Venus are conjoined, visible pre-dawn. With a taste, it touch it. Taurus Sun and Moon Venus in joyful, try anything Aries, what could be more dynamic? Actually, the additional energy of planets Mars, Mercury, Jupiter and Uranus, all in Aries as well, is a tad more dynamic. Positively dripping in action and enterprise is the six-planet lineup. <laughs> did you did you miss out some commas or or something in there? Because that didn't make any sense at all. I, I I know I had to read it several times in order to try and make sense out of it. But and yeah, you still haven't. Still haven't. Okay. So so essentially so the you, UFO has, network. Has she has their astrologer predicted that we're all going to storm them? Well, no, no, no. They didn't see that. However, one we could, we could. But I think I think it's kind of indicative of the, that they're a fringe group if they associate with these sorts of festivals. Um, and their site is sponsored by Nexus magazine and Uncensored. And if you've ever had a look through those, it's all woo. It's full of woo. Um, so there may well be something to this, but who knows? Show us some evidence. One of the one of the really interesting things about UFOs in New Zealand. I don't know whether you're aware, but there's a there was a guy by the name of um, Captain Bruce Cathy who has proposed that there is this invisible grid all over the world where UFO sightings happen, and they tend to happen on these these grid where grid Similar lines. Similar to intersect. ley lines or something. Yeah, yeah, and the, the, supposedly there are um, UFO bases under the, under the sea. And all sounds like They made a computer stuff. game out of that, didn't they? <laughs> um, I think if you go back and listen to episode one, Vicky mentioned... Yeah, um, she did, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah I, re- I remember... Um, sort of getting a book out of the library on it, and um, it was all very highly technical mathematical stuff. But but I my impression at the time was that he's essentially making up whatever formula he wanted in order to fit um, supposedly where these grid lines were to the earthquakes and UFO sightings. And all so actually, this is where the this is where the stuff has happened. Yeah. Some yeah. So here, yeah, let's let's match it up after the event. So well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Logically speaking, uh, yeah. So they've released those files. Yep. Who knows? And let's see what happened. Anything, anything particularly yeah. interesting in there? The proof of the UFO doesn't seem to be. Doesn't seem. Government's to be. not in league with the alien overlords. Well, it's not documented. It doesn't seem. So I think we've got a date. I think we've got a date for All May. Right. Actually. All right. Well, we'll we'll go along to that then. Well, and we're lucky that it's the beginning of May. Yes, before the war ends. According to a uh, billboard on Hobson Street in central Auckland, um, Judgment Day is happening on May the 21st this year. The Bible guarantees it, apparently. And we're supposed to blow the trumpet and warn the people, apparently. Now, did they give us a specific time, by any chance? No, it just says, Judgment Day, May the 21st, 2011. So sometime between midnight and midnight. This is when the rapture is going to happen. And then if you go to their website, which I don't recommend you do. um, Oh, no, if you want some entertainment. (laughs) Okay. I've been to their website. You'd want to have some free time with nothing to do. Wecanknow.com The billboard has a website address on it, familyradio.com. And if you go to their website, it is a 
um, well, it's basically run by some people in the States. Where else? The, the guy the guy making a prediction doesn't have a good track record because he actually predicted the end of the world back in, I think, 1994. And oh, no, it wasn't that happen. the coming of Christ he predicted? Well, I thought they were one and the same. Oh, okay. Well, I'm showing my, my sheer atheism. I don't know anything about it. Is it the same? The, coming of, the rapture is the same as the coming of Christ? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the rapture is when everyone is taken up into heaven. Okay. The two events are not necessarily concurrent, but the, I think the prevailing consensus is that the rapture is going to happen first. This is the, the whole premise of the Left Behind books. Okay. And all the, all the Christians' clothes will be in piles on the ground. In piles where, on the ground. Yeah. Oh, so, so right. <laughs> so it should have happened the in clothes. the 90s then. And then what's going to happen is going to be a thousand years of tribulation, which is everyone... Years. That, oh, thousand he says it's five months. He says the world's going to end on October the 21st. So he's only given us five months between the rapture and the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the world is ending May 21st. Now, no, 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 no. The rapture is happening oh, sorry, on May yes, 21st. Yes, yes. The world May ending 21st, on October 21st. And October 21st. So we have five months without Christians to, to party on. Which is going to be a bummer for my brother. That's his birthday. Oh, what better day to have the rapture than on your birthday? No, the end of the world. Oh, end of the world. Sorry. But yeah, so the, those of us that are left behind are going to have this period of whatever time it is to suffer and then Jesus comes It's not going to be a party. Is anything else going to happen though or is it just going to be like business as normal for the rest of us or are are there going to be jets of fire? I think it's going to be like that Simpsons episode where the whole town basically bursts into flames and Ah. it becomes hell on earth. That's what the Christians are hoping. I think the world economy will collapse because America America being economic superpower all the Christians in America will disappear and it's probably... Is Although it it's only Christian the true Christians. It, yeah. It's only the true Christians, so there's probably not that many of those. Now, I have been to the weekendno.com site, and they have a toolbar that you can install into your browser. I would not suggest <laughs> you do this, because at Tell least, me you installed at the least in Windows Craig. at least Tell in me. Windows 7, every time you open up a browser window, it says, oh, no, 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 that your browser toolbar wants to go and access the web. You have to get permission. But it, it usefully tells us that as of today there are three months and 21 days to go and and it has a bible search and it has a you can listen to family radio and it has news and apparently all over the world people are putting up these billboards yeah and in hobson street hobson street where else have they got them oh well um guatemala puerto rico oh i've got a question 21st of may for whom if this billboards in guatemala do they say the 21st of May as well? They have a different calendar in Guatemala. Well, no, but they're a day behind us. Ooh. So we're having the 21st of May, and then it's our 21st of May ends, and then someone else is going to have so a 21st of May. So actually, for us, maybe, given the skies in the States, maybe for us it's the 20th. Is that right? So they're giving us the wrong information. We should sue. Unless they've factored no, that sorry, into the billboards. No, sorry, it's the other way around. We're It'll first. Be the 20th. I think, I think Jesus it's 22nd for us. Jesus will work just like Santa Claus and he can be anywhere <laughs> in the world. So we'll have Christians disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll follow the dateline date around. Line. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But then everyone else would know about it. That's my problem, you see. Yeah. Oh, so if it happens convert. first over here. So if it here, starts happening here, then everyone's going to start converting. Yeah. And yeah. No, it has to no, be the same. Part of this, there'll be a global communications breakdown. So, in fact, the word won't get out. Well, so now you're just making shit up. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Jesus is, a, is an internet worm. <laughs> going to destroy the internet. The completely skeptical podcast does not advocate the writing of viruses and calling them anything at all. 
Can we move on by any chance, please? We can. We can. Okay, Susie, tell so us about this very, crash victim. Um, yes, a, a, an amazing, amazing miracle has happened. Um, the victim of a car crash who had her life support turned off is recovering. She's 18 years old, still in hospital, a month after her car smashed into a power pole in December. But her condition has improved from serious to stable. And this is despite the fact that a few weeks ago her doctors turned off her life support. What's interesting is her family say that it's um, love and prayers and the strength of spirit that's helping her recovery. Um, I'd like to add that her parents are acupuncturists, so they might have some, you know, they might have some prior... <laughs> um, pre- predisposition of woo. Yeah, um, it's quite interesting because the article in the New Zealand Herald um, gives it's it's all an interview with her dad basically, and he gives manages to give his business a bit of a bit of a. Well, uh, I think there's some, my assumption there would be it's not so much an article as it is a press release. Yeah. So this is just miraculous because they turned off life support, expecting her to die, and in fact she's lived. Is there any opinions in that article from any of the doctors involved? There's, no, there's nothing. There is nobody other than, than um, her dad. She didn't take a mega dose of vitamin C, did she? <laughs> <laughs> so her parents are, have contacted experts um, to give her herbal and acupuncture treatments, and it says that her rehabilitation is likely to start next week. So it suggests that she hasn't had anything yet. By my reading of that, she's doing okay, and she hasn't actually had any alternative treatments but, but that she's going to get, um, what are they going to give her? So the hospital have obviously organised physiotherapy and speech therapy, and her parents are going to enhance it with acupuncture, Chinese herbs, and our favourite, homeopathy. So, um, yeah. But this, so this, just this whole thing about people, you know, shit happens. Some people die and some people recover. And it reminded me of a wonderful episode of House that I watched recently which is house versus God. The, the spiritualist healer comes in and he's very sick and um, they're trying to figure out what's wrong with him, as they do, and there's a cancer patient and he touches her and says, oh my God, you're going to be well, and she starts to improve. So of course it's up to house to figure out why the hell she's improving as well as figure out why the spiritual healer is, um, is sick. And it's fabulous because it turns out that he gave her herpes. <laughs> and he gave her a virus. And, uh, and there is clear evidence that um, viruses can, uh, can basically sort of target tumour cells. And stuff. So it was really nice, and it reminded me of that. Um, we should totally interview House. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> Susie, having watched House, what's your assessment of, the, of, of House as in terms of being accurate medically? Um, I'm completely the wrong person to ask. Uh, he, he strikes me as pretty good, actually. I mean, I, I love him. I, I've, yeah. I'm a recent, I've only just started watching it. Um, mainly because, I, as, an, as, as a Brit, I couldn't cope with Hugh Laurie's American accent because, to me, he, he just doesn't. But I've managed to get over that, and I'm really glad I did because, actually, I love it. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, it, it's so bashing of people who don't give their children vaccines and, and you know, and he's, a, he's really into, you know, the fact that we're all going to die from antibiotic-resistant bacteria and stuff. You know, I mean, none of the, there's no need for raptures and, and UFOs. You know, we're, we're doing <laughs> We're all going to die anyway. Yeah, we're right. all going to die of superbugs basically, and we're running out of antibiotics, treat them all. Anyway, that's another story. Um, so, no, I think it's, it strikes me as pretty good. Although there was something the other day that I watched and I thought, hmm, I'm not sure that's strictly true. But anyway, 
the artistic license, I guess they would say. Okay, so talking about acupuncturists, I just want to really briefly mention this um, advertorial that was in the January 27th uh, Western Leader, and it is the Warlow Psalm Acupuncture Clinic Achieves Amazing Results. And they have these horrible photos of some poor person's foot covered in sores and then another photo of the same person with the sores very much healed. And the basic point they seem to be claiming is that they cured it with acupuncture. And it has been used to successfully treat a wide range of conditions including burns, persistent pain, skin conditions, diabetes and many more. And right next to it, actually up the top, there's an ad for the same thing. And they've got curable diseases, hay fever, sinus, dry cough, gout, burn, hernia, angina, facial palsy, stroke, shaking limbs, genital problems, (laughs) and erection problems. Quite apart from the fact that some of those aren't actually diseases, that seems to be some very, very specific claims that they're making. And so I'm now make some complaints. If anyone wants to go along and grab some materials off them or ask them some questions, they're on Lincoln Road in Henderson. Uh, if anyone wants to go along and have their itchy genitals um, cured. Um, is it itchy genitals or is it just... It says genital problems, itchy, smelly and incontinence. It just sounds like they've got a urinary tract infection, actually. I, I suggest probably some antibiotics. So probably not acupuncture, you think? No, if you're itchy and smelly, you're incontinent. Probably the least Now, one of the things that I notice, and it's a little bit hard to tell in the scan that I've done of it, but the photo, the first photo of the feet with the sores on it has a little date stamp on it, but it actually says 2004 9 6 something something something, which suggests to me that that photo was taken in 2004. If you have a look at the next photo, the one with the feet supposedly cured from acupuncture, it says 2005 1 29. It's either what um, September or June of 2004, the first photo. The second photo is the 29th of the 1st, 2005 which is at least four or five months between the two photos. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, of course, I have no idea, but it seems to me there's a, there's a possibility that sores or burns or whatever that first photo is, uh, I'm sorry, it does say, the sores on the feet, the result of diabetes. So, diabetic ulcers, okay. And it specifically says, were relieved by Warlosan acupuncture. It's very, very obvious from those two photos that it was were relieved over the course of four months. What I find amazing about these pictures, though, is that, you know, the, the um, colours are so different. Yeah. I mean, especially the girl, if you look, at she's really red, and she's got this clearly very red, sore thing, and then the next one's completely washed out. So does she still have the same redness on her... I mean, it's just... But they're quite graphic, horrible photos of, of people's skin conditions, and they're making very, very bold claims. And uh, if anyone's interested, it's um, $200 for five treatments. Or sixty-five dollars for one. Uh, and tell you what I'll do is I'll put a link up to this, um, or I'll upload this to the um, to the website so everyone can download and have a look at it. So the best places in New Zealand to buy lotto tickets, and this is an article in the New Zealand Herald. The best places to buy lotto tickets revealed. Apparently, the Buller District is the luckiest place to buy lotto tickets, thanks largely to one massive win. Blah 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 numbers, and 
blah, 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 and the winner. And apparently Manical Pack and Save sold the most prizes at 78,000. Gee, did they sell the most tickets? That's one of the points I was going to make. The Manical Pack and Save is quite large and gets a lot of customers through it. So obviously they probably sell more tickets than, than some other venues. The other thing that's going on, of course, is, um, and someone will tell me the name of the fallacy. There's a lottery fallacy. <laughs> but the fallacy basically is saying it was because one place has sold more winning lotto tickets, they're more likely to sell those tickets in the, in the future because they're lucky. Uh, someone will write in and tell us what the logical fallacy is and we'll tell you next week. Um, that can be a competition. But the thing is, my first reaction to that article was, well, of course that's not a good place to go and buy lottery tickets from. Because they've sold so many winning lotto tickets now, you would expect it to regress to the mean, which is, of course, in itself a fallacy. Am I wrong? Or, or, am, or am I actually right in thinking that they're... No, no, I think you're wrong, because just because they've sold a whole bunch in the past... Wrong about being wrong or wrong about the fallacy? I don't know what you're wrong about, but you're wrong. <laughs> Okay. Just because they've sold a lot in the past doesn't mean there's any less chance of the, the next one being a winner. That's what I'm saying. Yes. So that is that is my fallacy. Although over time, it should average out. Yes. And if it didn't, the Lotteries Commission would probably be saying, oh, what's going on here? However, but there will be anomalies because you have, statistically, you have to sell a huge number of tickets for it to average out. Perfect. And that's that's the fallacy of people who are analysing the frequency with which particular numbers come up in lotto, that the, there is the random variation in, in, in which balls come up and purely through statistics that some are going to, that not all are going to, of the 40 balls are going to come out an equal number of times. It's not predictive, predictive in any way is the key thing we're trying to say. So that's enough of that. Susie, something about one above? Yeah, so I um, recently flew to Vancouver and uh, Auckland International Terminal has had a bit of a revamp and um, there was this blue, I, I felt like I was assaulted by a blue stall, really, stand, and it was for this drink called One Above. So this is a, a As opposed design. to 42 Below? <laughs> exactly. Um, it's designed, formulated, bottled and developed in New Zealand. And it launched at Auckland Airport in December and it's sold exclusively to international travellers. People well, who are leaving the country? Yes. People is there a good reason for that? Yes. I'm suspicious. Well, okay. just, listen, okay. just I'm listening. wait. So it's the world's first aerotonic TM flight beverage. So I'll tell you what their press release says. Developed specifically for flying, one above is lightly flavoured, low in calories and deeply refreshing. It delivers fast, electrolyte-enhanced hypertonic hydration, um, grape flow and essential daily nutrients, all of which may be depleted whilst travelling. Aimed at naturally supporting the body against the impact of jet, uh, jet lag and cold and flu or circulation issues, so DBT, each bottle contains a balanced range of electrolytes, 67 to 133% of your daily vitamin B, uh, daily B vitamins, 67% of your daily vitamin C needs, and is high in polyphenol extracts, which have been shown to be important in a, in a diet designed to support the circulation. So, what they say is uh, this basically will, you know, prevent you from getting sick, will stop you from getting jet lag, and will prevent um, DVT, and you should take it. Now, that's actually a real thing. So that's actually quite a dangerous thing to be selling. Well, it's naturally supporting your body against the impact of these things, I guess. And so it, I'm, may, so I'm, it may, may help. help. Right. What they say, so the, the, the most hilarious thing is it, it, it's, it comes in this sort of blue flask. So they sell it in this blue flask. But 
you have to tell them how far you're going and then they will tell you how much you need. So you have to drink, they recommend you drink 200 to 400 mils before you leave and then 200 to 300 mils per hour of flight time. So I was going to Vancouver, that was a 13 hour flight and um, I worked out it was going to be 2.8 to 4.3 litres I would need to take. Yes, Nathan. Isn't there a maximum amount of fluid you can carry on a plane? <laughs> uh, They've probably got exemptions. <laughs> well, it does, so nobody was buying more than this flask, which looked to me like it wouldn't take more than a litre. And in fact, so I think that's bollocks. I don't think, pe- they, don't, I don't think they're just selling people a, f- a thing, which is not what it says in their website. Um, but the guy next to me on the flight bought one. And it was quite hilarious because he didn't drink from it the whole time we were in the air. And yet every time the flight attendant came past with a glass of water, I asked for a glass of water. So, um, yeah, I I felt fine when I arrived in Vancouver and I wonder how he felt. You didn't talk to him about it? No. It's probably because you just went went to the booth and that's had an effect. No, I I basically picked up the little thing. I I thought, this has got bollocks written all over it. I picked up the little thing that had the website on and then I went... Uh, I went on my way, and when I got to Vancouver, I looked it up, and I thought, this is hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. It's an interesting yeah, marketing just, technique, though. Yeah, but it's also, you know, it's it's a proudly New Zealand, and you just think, God, this is nothing. We're not proud. No. We're not proud. We're not. Now, apparently, there's no Ponsonby News this month. I am devastated, oh. because basically, they go on holiday in January, so but the next one's not out. Don't panic. Listeners, because we are introducing a new segment, <laughs> Craig rants about the coffee news. The coffee Craig, news. Craig, what have they done wrong now? Well, the coffee news is a is a little newsletter newsletter thing that you can yeah. buy at cafes and so on. You don't buy it; it's no, free. It's free. Oh, no, it's, yeah, sorry, sorry. That that is distributed to cafes, and so if you go and um, buy something at a cafe, then you can sit down and have the coffee news to read, and it's generally um, has some fun facts and a little quiz in it and then a whole bunch of advertising and, and often the advertising science. and yes it has your horoscope and, and so on but often the advertising has, makes some dubious and there are some dubious ads in there anyway I, I came across across one for a thing called the SE pendant I don't know what SE stands for however I'll just read this out because it, it really is full of wood SE pendant makes an excellent gift of love Improved circulation for extra energy and better health. Now you can achieve better health and greater vitality by neutralizing negative energies and recharging your body's energy field with the good energy frequencies of the SE pendant. It is great for anyone who wants to feel more energetic and live life to the fullest. Busy executives, working parents, golfers, students, the elderly drivers, weight and health conscious individuals and frequent computer or mobile phone users. So everyone basically. (laughs) Basically anybody, yeah. If you would like to buy one, you can email donnabb at extra.co.nz. Now, there's obviously uh, a professional, professional professionally run, uh, thing going on there, yeah. run site, yes. And just because someone's going to think to do it, the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical, Skeptical Podcast does not endorse the sending of spam or abusing emails. But if you want to send an to inquiry <laughs> to donnabb at want, extra.co.nz, just don't harass the poor. Why not? Because we don't, well, I don't think she deserves that. We do have something like 900 listeners. So, do we? Well, I haven't got gold to give me the latest stats yet, but I'll talk about that at the end. Um, so the, the interesting thing about the ad, though, is that it does make some fairly major claims about... It, it doesn't seem to have 
the sort of weasel words saying it may do this. It's saying improve circulation. And so I'll tell you what the, um, the process would be then is complain to the coffee news. Rather than sending an email to this to this woman's oh, no, email address. Oh no no no, we, we've we've gone to the advertising section. Okay, well that too. But I think if you went to the coffee news and just pointed out the yeah maybe maybe in order to have some effect, we should complain to the coffee news and say, well hey look, you shouldn't accept ads like this because they're they're actually misleading. Okay, no, yeah, later nonsense. Okay, so and now we're going to have a an interview that we recorded last year with the George Raab. And I am here in Auckland with none other than George Rab, the very, very famous sceptical musician. Gio, welcome to the cast. I got two varies in the very famous. Wow, thank you. Thank you yes, very much. I'm probably going to get comments from people about that. <laughs> thank you very, very much. <laughs> Last episode, everyone complained because um, we were basically actually all the time. Oh. Basically yep, actually. Yep, yep. I, I suffer that too. Pedants. Yeah. I suffer um, again. That's what I always say. Again. Yes. Again. Which is annoying. So sorry. It's good to know that everyone has. Of course. Of course. So for those who might not know who you are, or there might be a couple because right. we're in New Zealand right. and, you know, bottom of the planet. Who are you? What do you do? Well, uh, I have a podcast called The Geologic Podcast. I'm a primarily a singer and songwriter humorist maybe uh, which sounds pretentious but uh <laughs> skeptical entertainer hopefully i'm one who tries to provide a bit of a sorbet between the the meals of actual scientific skeptical content with some uh, silliness and some some songs and some observations and very well oh as well I understand thank you it. or if, yeah if you've been told then great i only say that because yeah, so I heard you were coming to Auckland to do a concert, and I, it was at that point that I realized I've never actually sat down and listened to all of your stuff. I have heard a couple of episodes of the podcast, uh, and then I sort of, I, I'm working my way through the SGU, and when I'm current with that, then I start on the next podcast down in the list. And um, as soon as I realized you were coming to Auckland, of course, I, I decided I wasn't going to actually listen to anything. So I'm going to come along to your concert tonight. And I'll be hearing it all for the first time. So after that, I will let you know whether you're actually uh, awesome or not. Okay, I, I appreciate it. So you will come in with a clean palate. Indeed, that's exactly what it is. And you will dive in, tuck in. Yes. Good. Um, your history. Um, how did you come into skepticism, uh, get into music and that sort of thing? Uh, well, two sort of separate paths. I mean, I, I from the age of seven, uh, was always, well, even before then, was interested in music. But when it came time to kind of do an official lesson type taking thing I wanted to play trumpet uh, initially I'm not even sure why but uh, we couldn't quite swing the trumpet rental arrangement so my dad who was a drummer and still is uh, said what if I teach you drums I thought great sounds good I'll have more time with you and why not so that kind of became a major obsessive focus for me was percussion playing drums and Subsequently, I studied that in college, went to music school, got a, got a degree in performance, and that's my day job, is playing drums for a band out of Philadelphia in the States. That's my Friday, Saturday, Sundays, Thursday, sometimes, Mondays, sometimes. That allows me to have the rest of the week wide open to sort of focus on this whole podcasting and skepticism thing. The skepticism thing came in very early without me even knowing what it was in terms of skepticism. The, the, the story I've told a number of times is... Um, I've read, I read uh, Inherit the Wind, which is a, a play about the Scopes monkey trial. 
the teaching of Darwinian theory in the 1890s. They made a movie out of it. It did, as well. yeah, yeah, uh, great, great movie. Spencer uh, Tracy. It's a wonderful film. Um, I read that when I was in seventh grade, which is uh, at 12 or 13 years old, um, and it had this word agnostic. You know, that was one of the activity words for one of the lessons was agnostic. What does this mean, agnostic? And I remember kind of thinking about that and thinking that's really interesting. I think I'm there. I was raised Ukrainian Catholic, so I was the, an altar boy. I was I, I did first communion, all that all that stuff. And uh, but I always had such doubts and questions that were never satisfactorily answered. So those sort of lingered lingered throughout. Um, when I finished college, um, I found a book by Michael Shermer called Why People Believe Weird Things. And the only reason I bought it was because on the back there was a an endorsement by Penn & Teller. And I thought, okay, I know those guys, the funny magician guys. Oh, if, they, if they like this, this must be interesting. Let me read this. And in there, the, for the first time, was that term, skeptic, and what that meant and what that means and what that community was. And I thought, whoa, you know, this is a whole line of thinking that, I, that, it, that exists separate from my consciousness, from my, my own existence. And give me more, give me more. And that's when you sort of learn about Randy, James Randi, and you learn about, uh, you know, Carl Sagan, and all of, apart from his TV personality, all the books that he's written. So I just devoured everything I could within that time after, after university. And um, that's how it all started. And like I said earlier to you, like, you know, little would I imagine that 10, 12 years later, I'd be, you know, moderating a panel with James Randi and Michael Shermer and Penn and Teller or whatever. It, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Okay, I have to apologize for this next question. All right. It's, it's, it's one of the first ones I thought of. Thank you for the pre-apology. <laughs> Hit me. What are your musical influences? Mm -hmm. Who inspires you? Yeah, the, I, I have a very difficult time, like most musicians, describing what my music is like. So what I usually stick to is uh, describing who I steal from the most. And the people that I steal from the most are, first and foremost, Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa... Um, is someone I discovered late in high school, so uh, around 15, 16 years of age. Uh, and it was it was much like Paul on the road to Damascus. It was this moment of light hitting me, not so much between the eyes, but sort of right in the crotch. And uh, uh, I, I, Frank just sort of showed that you, there are no rules, and you can you can do songs about dental floss or about about animals or about body parts. And you can do it really cleverly and in a smart way and in a musically funny way and in a musically intelligent way. <clears throat> intelligent way, excuse me. Um, so Zappa is kind of the alpha and the omega for me. Uh, then there's Talking Heads, David Byrne. That whole idea of being arty and yet being very accessible and being danceable. You know, smart dance music. I have always loved, as a drummer, I've always loved rhythm and I've always loved dancing and always loved the, the primal urgency of rhythm and beat and dancing and boogieing. Uh, and Talking Heads had this perfect combination of brain and body. Um, then there's uh, the police, you know, because I was just a child of the 80s, that was the rule. You had to be a fan of the police, which I was. And Stuart Copeland, who I think is one of the most influential, su subtly influential drummers. And uh, and Andy Summers, who was one of the most subtly influential guitarists. I mean, you wouldn't have any of the 80s and 90s music without Andy Summers. Um let alone Sting and, and his brilliance of you know he, he's a he's a nice little closet kind of atheist skeptic he sneaks some some material in that you don't even realize until you do and it's like oh okay oh all right cool cool um, yeah for as much as a 
tosser he can be sometimes with his attitudes or whatever, but but there is some really, really great music that's there. Um, then, uh, gosh, you know, who else? Uh, King Crimson. King Crimson and Yes are big influences for me. Yes, just because it's there's something about that British rock thing that I just love. I just love it. And uh, from that, Bill Bruford, a drummer again, but someone who would call himself a musician first. And I always liked that. And going to Robert Fripp and King Crimson and that whole mathematical approach and the beauty of the mathematic aesthetic that you can remove emotion from music and it can be just as beautiful as anything else. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, so those are the main those are the main influences. Okay, you kind of hinted about this just a little bit earlier. Um, my next question is to ask you to define your music. What categories do you put your music into? Right, right. I mean, again, my disparate... My influences aren't that disparate, but the influences themselves pro- produce very disparate music. So how do you categorize Frank Zappa? I mean, there are things that are straight-ahead instrumental jazz. There are things that are straight-ahead rock. There are funky things. There are Motown-inspired things. I-, I like the eclectic nature of the artists that I like, and so my music is very eclectic. On the album Trebuchet, you go from from sort of a... a uh, choir-like, you know, 60-piece 60 60-piece 60 vocal pieces. You know, the, the first thing you hear is a 60-piece choir, a cappella, just singing. It's a song called God Is Not Great. It's the very first thing you hear, uh, inspired by Chris Hitchens' title of his book. Um, you go to purely acoustic songs. Um, there is a song that, uh, the title song, Trebuchet, is about a two-minute sort of thrash metal song. Um, because I like that aesthetic. I like the timbre of, of, of really, really thrash hard metal. Uh, the very last song on the album is a big band, 1940s big band piece, where uh, five of my friends that are horn players came in and we simulated a 16-piece, you know, Columbia 1940s big band. So to me, it's all, uh, like Count Basie said, you know, there's two kinds of music, good and bad. And if it's done well, it's hopefully entertaining and interesting. So categorizing is difficult for me. I love all these disparate influences and, 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 and artists. And so I, I Mostly, I think it's it's somewhat clever lyric writing. Hopefully, people find it clever. I love the English language and the and the fun that you can have with it. Uh, that's always a challenge to me to not just write straight ahead lyrics, but something that you might not get first time out. You'll find little like the puzzle nature of English language. I love. I just love that. So the unexpected, hopefully, and the puzzle nature of it, and and hopefully it'll rock and make you want to dance a little bit too. Indeed. I don't know if you're going to punch me or not, but do you ever get <laughs> do you ever get compared to Tim Minchin? If only, if only. That's to me is a tremendous compliment. The, there was a, a, a thing that happened at Tam London, where Tim performed. I was lucky to perform as well, and then Tim Tim performed. I call him Tim because we're good close friends. But I did meet him there, and he was as as nice as could be, just a complete gentleman, a complete sweetheart. Gave me a big hug. It was really cool. Pretended he knew me. It was very nice of him. Um, he performed and he did his sort of a half hour show and ending with storm of course which just he just blew the roof off the place i mean he just killed it was tremendous and i was fortunate enough to watch the program while sitting next to adam savage from the mythbusters so another hero of mine so adam and i are sitting there and we're watching and tim finishes his program and everyone just is on their feet screaming and uh adam looks at me and how did he put it? He said, uh, um, shit, I, I always forget this exact quote. Hopefully you can edit this out, but um, how did he put it? Oh, yes. So Adam Savage is sitting next to me, and he looks at me, and he says, God, I feel so unproductive. 
<laughs> you know, of all people, Adam Savage says, I feel so unproductive. That's how good Tim Minchin is, that he makes Adam Savage feel unproductive. And which made me feel like a like a, a mollusk, you know. Um, so to be compared to Tim is 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 the highest form of compliment I could possibly take because he he really is great and he's doing it the right way. He hasn't compromised any of his beliefs or any of his artistry, and is being ridiculously successful. It's 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 wonderful to watch. No jealousy at all. Oh, of course, R- mountains of jealousy. Oh, forget about it. Yeah. I could only hope, but no, I mean, jealousy is good though. Jealousy is good because it, if you channel it, it inspires you hopefully and you do something with it. You can stay bitter and blog or you can do something about it. So I'm trying to do something about it. He kind of um, touched on this in the interview with um, Graham a little bit as well. He asked the same question. What sort of response do you get from the public? And I think I like the way Graham put it. He said, if you got up on a stage and you said the sort of things that you're saying, people would be up in arms with pitchforks and, and torches. Do you get a lot of angry email, a lot of people harassing you after the shows? I really don't. I really don't, and that I'm fortunate. I don't know if it's because my, my audience is so tailored and know what I do. Um, I'm fortunate enough to play in venues that usually are tailored to the kind of music that I that is tailored to the kind of music that I do. Um, I have done open mics and open kind of settings where I perform, and, and usually the responses I get in those kind of settings are from people that will whisper that they agree with me. You know, that kind of thing of like, I really like that song about, you know, God not being great. Like, don't don't tell my friends, but that was really cool. That to me is really important because it is sort of like a, a voice in the wilderness a little bit, you know, not to make it too important a point, but uh, I get that more than anything that, that, that maybe would surprise me in a moment. Um, and it's the delivery system. You know, you can say things in a song or in a joke that, like you said, otherwise the pitchforks would come out. So... The presentation of what I do, hopefully, is makes it more palatable, or at least makes it accessible, so that someone can maybe question what they are, what their beliefs are, or what their uh, presuppositions are. So that you hear a song with maybe a little bit of a joke to it, um, you know, you can kind of laugh at yourself, hopefully, and think, okay, does that make sense? That you know, that thing that we, that thing that we believe, or yeah, talking to dead people. Okay, does that really make sense? Because this guy sang about it, and yeah. You raised a, a point that maybe wouldn't have gotten through because the defenses go up when you just proselytize. When you proselytize, the defenses go up. And so what I do, what I do is I entertain, hopefully, and there's a message in there if you want there to be one, or if you're receptive to one. So uh, I, I've been I don't get very nasty email. I don't get very nasty responses from people. I'm sure after this interview they'll come, deservedly so. But uh, uh, mostly I don't I don't get them. So you also mentioned as well in the interview with Graham about wearing a tie and wearing a suit. Yeah. And do you think that helps your presentation as well? I think it does in a weird way. I mean I I'm, I have a natural predisposition to for for I just enjoy clothing and, and and all that's involved with that and always have since I was very young. I mean as a you speak of influences earlier. Uh, the band uh, Power Station was uh, a favorite of mine, uh, which was sort of the rhythm section from Duran Duran with Robert Palmer. And they kind of had this harder-edged, funkier rock music, and yet Robert Palmer was in, a, in an Armani suit. I liked that dichotomy. I liked that idea. That, that didn't The music they were making didn't look like it should be coming out of the guys that were making it. So I kind of liked that, and that sort of stuck with me that it it provides you maybe a couple seconds more that if I get up there in a suit and maybe I use language which is a little bit a little bit more coarse or have concepts that are maybe a little bit less traditional, it might just keep someone's attention for that those eight or ten more seconds. You know, my, my fifth album is called Interrobang and on the cover essentially I'm naked. 
Now, it's not because there's just a prurient interest in seeing me naked, but it's about me revealing my kind of thoughts. And that cover might draw someone's attention, like, why is this dude naked on this thing? Like, what, 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 what is this about? So you get five extra seconds. There's so much material out there to, that you have to compete with that, unfortunately, it takes little tricks like that to maybe just compete and get someone's attention for 20 seconds more. So that's kind of the, that's it's a, it is a marketing gimmick, but I feel okay because I know ultimately what I'm providing is of quality, I think, and people that do like it tend to agree with me. So, eh. yes. hopefully. <laughs> yes. The people that like it agree with you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, would you define yourself as a skeptical musician? Or a musical skeptic? Oh, God, that's a good question. Yes. <laughs> Knew there was one. Yes. Knew there was a good question. Um, skepticism enters into everything I do. I mean, every every aspect of my life, every every decision I make, on some level, uh, to some percentage, has a skeptical nature to it. Am I taking the best route to work? Am I? Is this dollar I'm going to spend the best way I can spend it? Is it worth, you know... Is this person bullshitting me? Is 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 this commercial real? Every everything I do is filtered through the lens of skepticism. Um, so music, which is a big chunk of what I do, I mean, on my passport it says musician. You know, uh, it doesn't say necessarily skeptic rogue. You know, um, so I would I think I'm a musician first and foremost, entertainer first and foremost, who uses skepticism maybe more as a subject matter than others would so but 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 primarily because it's such a big part of my day-to-day -day existence and the subjects that are involved in skepticism are, are of a great interest to me so what would that be would i guess that would be a, a skeptical musician yeah skeptical musician because i'm a skeptical tv viewer i'm a skeptical uh, uh jogger i'm a skeptical whatever you know denture wearer so it's like yeah so music is your... Exactly, exactly. Um, so you do a podcast as well. Now, it's been a while. I did actually listen to an episode, uh, one of your first episode of your podcast, and I remember being very confused. Okay, yeah. Uh, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. <laughs> that normally is the first reaction, yeah. So can you tell us about that? Explain that. What confused you? I just wonder what... To... I can't remember. Okay. It was a long time ago. <laughs> It, it is a very. Tell us about what what is it you, that you're trying to do with your. Podcast? Yeah, it's 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 eclectic, and there is not a scientific or skeptical message directly. Um, it is very free format, very open. It's kind of like walking around in my hippocampus. Is sort of what it is. Is is you get to put galoshes on, and walk through my brain. So. Mostly the show consists of sort of three elements. Um, my stories as a professional musician. So I'll talk about gigs. I'll talk about plane rides. I'll talk about walking into music stores and what torture that is. Um, there is the skeptical nature of it, the scientifically based thing, where we have a, a bit called interesting fauna, where if I hear about or read about or a listener sends in some cool animal, uh, I talk about it, and that's a weekly feature. There's the religious moron of the week, which uh, is a religious person that is behaving in a very moronic way, usually in the name of religion or because of bad religious thinking. That's a feature. Um, then there's sort of the third aspect, which is just silly. You know, as a fan of Monty Python, that's another big influence for me. Um, I can only hope to be a shadow of what they, the silliness that they could, ins they could, they could provide. Um, so sketches, uh, wordplay 
silly sounds. That's kind of the third the third prong of it. And then there's extra things here and there. Occasional interviews, occasional uh, songs, uh, songs in progress, things I'm working on, maybe sketches in progress. Maybe if I'm presenting somewhere at a place like Tam, I might talk about what I'm working on and, and get listener feedback. Um, so like I said earlier, it's all filtered through the lens of, skeptic- of skepticism, but mostly it's just uh, hopefully entertaining mildly entertaining storytelling and just just silliness so it's not as structured as a skeptic's guide to the universe where here is our you know name that logical fallacy here's a fact or fiction here's the science news those types of things might enter into it but it's really at the whim of 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 me so it's some shows could be there was there was one show that i saw five interesting musical performances in a week so i just talked about those five shows that was the 45 minutes and I love that. I love that it's completely up to me as to what it is. And I can totally, I love to keep people guessing. I love to, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of The Simpsons as well. And Matt Groening, who, who is, produces The Simpsons, is the creator of it. He says, his whole philosophy is we reward people for paying attention. And as a fan of The Simpsons, I feel that way. I feel that like, oh, I just, I caught that reference or I saw that thing drawn in the background or I, I saw that thread throughout the multiple shows and it's like a little prize it's an easter egg um i like to reward my listeners if they're paying attention and also you are forced to pay attention because you never know what's going to happen you never know what's going to be coming up next and even even when you think you might understand you know there is a regularity to the show but every now and then i like to throw a curveball and just really keep people guessing so but live performances as well, I try to kind of have that element of anything could happen at any time, uh, which I really enjoy. We were actually asking people this right back at the beginning. I thought it was going to be one of our things. What's your star sign? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yield is my sign. Uh, uh, Gemini. Gemini is my star sign. Yes. To the twins, right. You like twins? In the right setting, sure. With <laughs> a couple of martinis, why not? Okay, nearly done. What's the one question that no one ever asks you and you wish they would? I've, I've been lucky that I've, I've had some really good interviews. Um, I can't think of anything, to be honest. It's it's I, I'm very fortunate in that I meet really interesting people that ask really interesting questions. And uh, uh, apart from this, of course, but uh, um, <laughs> it's it's great, and I'm very fortunate that I get to I get to do what I do and travel all over the world and 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 meet people. I mean, there's no reason that you and I should be having this discussion right now. You know, there's just no logical reason, and and 20 years ago it would have been impossible. Yet here we are now, because of the the web and because of the the community of skeptics and free thinkers, here we are in in New Zealand having a conversation. So what what question could possibly top that? You know what I mean? Like that that's enough of an amazing actual miracle (laughs) that's 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 interesting and more than enough to talk about so we're nearly done i don't want to take up all afternoon as you know you've got stuff to do um just really quickly if you if you wouldn't mind how did you find tam we're going to ask craig obviously when he gets back because he was over there from the sort of performer speaking point of view how did you find tam australia and i've been fortunate enough to be to to go to two tam vegas's two tam vegai and uh one tam london and Tam Vegas, uh, Tam Vegas, Tam Australia was uh, had a lot to live up to, a lot to live up to, and I think they completely lived up to it and surpassed it. The organizational nature of an, of something like this, 
to anyone who's organized a skeptics in the pub or some kind of event like that it's it's to a, the factor of n more complicated and richard saunders and his whole crew uh, uh evan and, and joe and 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 uh gosh i'm gonna leave people out so i shouldn't even start naming people but 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 so many of them did such incredible work and you felt it you felt it in the organizational nature of it that everything was thought through um to me what what was the nicest bit was the vibe the vibe of the weekend that it wasn't a caustic meeting of surly angry skeptics angry at the world angry at the stupidity of people uh which sometimes events can feel like which is fine too it's good to be angry Ang anger is a nice motivating factor just like jealousy i said earlier can be a very good motivating factor the problem was the problem is you have to balance it because the caustic nature can destroy bonds you know the caustic nature of anger and vitriol can can destroy as well as inspire if if the thing that stood out to most to me was the vibe of positiveness <laughs> for lack of a better word but that we are skeptics we are critical thinkers and we can change the world and we're doing it uh, examples of the anti-vaccination, anti-anti-vaccination network successes. I mean, to say, to give a concrete example, here was where people on Twitter, which is a complete, uh, Twitter is ludicrous. I mean, it's a, it's an insanely ludicrous distraction. And all who use it know that, and we accept that, and that's fine. And yet, through Twitter and the focused uh, attempts of the anti-anti-vax, the uh, they managed to stop movie chains in the United States from presenting commercials during the busiest movie time of the year. It cost nothing. It was or organized and focused and done through people that are in this movement. If anything, TAM Australia celebrated that and was a continued celebration of those types of successes. That is something which was new, I think, to, to this particular TAM that we could revel in the fact that we can make a difference and will continue to make a difference and that people just kept walking out of the out of the out of the conferences out of each presentation inspired and smiling and saying okay what's next so yes we are screwed we are screwed because there is so much non-critical thinking going on but we can do something about it and are doing something about it and let's continue to do something about it. That that was what was came across for me. Pamela Gay, also from the States, who was a last-minute addition, she does wonderful, wonderful astronomy podcasts and is a real inspiring person. She spoke. So many women in particular after her talk came up to me and just sort of said, what can I do? What, what's my job now? What do I need to do? It was so inspiring. That That's what was great and just you wanted to you wanted to just run into the streets you know and 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 start something start start a movement start a start a podcast start a meeting start a gathering whatever it was and not oh man i'm just gonna blog and be surly you know i'm gonna be i'm just gonna be yeah this really sucks and make fun of this guy make fun of this guy make fun of this guy it wasn't that it was let's make a difference and we can do it cool so you enjoyed yourself absolutely you absolutely come back again? totally i i will be here Whenever I am welcome, or even if I am not welcome, I'm coming. So be, be watch out. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, 
George, for coming on our podcast and doing the interview. Thank you. Please keep doing this kind of stuff. It's important. I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Auckland. I will. Thank and you. And looking forward to the concert. Thank you. Just before you go, um, I'll give you a chance to plug your albums. Sure. Tell us about your latest album and your back catalogue and where can we get them from? Well, I mentioned the Geologic Podcast. So it's geologicpodcast.com. It's available. It's a weekly show. It's available. We're at show 193. And what we did with the newest album, which is called Trebuchet, we actually have it in the feed, top to bottom, for free. So episode 170, if you go to Geologic Podcast, if you search on the word Trebuchet, or you just go to episode 170, it's uh, 71 minutes, I believe, of completely free music, all 17 tracks, totally free, you can get it there. You can also go to iTunes Australia, you can go to iTunes whatever. Um, And on the web, if you Google my name, H-R-A-B, my last name is unique enough that the first... 30,000 hits are me. So you can find me on cdbaby.com as well as iTunes. So please check it out. Cool. So everyone go out and buy a copy of George's latest album. Yeah. Listen to it first. Get it for free. Listen to it first, top to bottom. If you like it, you can buy it. A couple of episodes ago, we mentioned that we were going to set a goal of, I think we said, doubling the amount of people we had listening to the podcast by the end of the year and then we forgot about it grammar pedant number of people what did i say you said amount so we're going to increase the number of people that we have listening to the podcast we didn't mention it again and we haven't invited anyone to do it so we're going to do that this year and we'll say in the first six months so by june july-ish we want to try and double the number of people listening to the cusp. The bad news is we don't actually have the current stats because. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a meaningless goal, and we won't know. No, 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 no. That's okay. <laughs> but, um, because Gold's busy being homeless and whatnot, he hasn't had time to actually pull the numbers out and present them in a nice little spreadsheet. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to find out what that number is. Um, but for the meantime, we'll work on the old number, which was 900 people. So if everyone recommends the cusp to one person and they start listening to it on a regular basis, then we should be able to double our numbers up to, say, 1,800. The so, world will have ended by then anyway, so... Oh, no. oh, I hadn't thought of that. Okay, so let's make it by the end of the world in May. <laughs> oh, no, 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 sorry, you're getting it all wrong. The rapture is in May, the end of the world is October. So oh, Christ, right. okay. okay, sorry. Um, so by October, which is the end of the world... Yep. And we don't care about the rapture because it doesn't affect us. Yeah, because presumably none of those... No, I don't know. I might have converted by then. I've, I've got some evidence. I might have converted. Well, they do have a big billboard, Craig. It's, it's pretty convincing. <laughs> Craig, you've got a quote for us? I do. It's from um, a guy by the name of Isaac Asimov. There is a single light of science, and to brighten it anywhere is to brighten it everywhere. Isaac Asimov. And the word for the day is... Malophagus which is eating wool or fleece, malophagus. What? Eating wool or fleece. What's that got to do with anything? It doesn't. It's just a fun word, malophagus. Sounds like a character off Sesame Street. So you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a message or send us some feedback, check out the Contact Us page on our website, thecusp.org.nz. <laughs> What's He's counting basically. Oh, basically. Sorry. Huh? <laughs> okay. Basically, a, a, a um, spiritual healer. Don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Whoever our listener was who doesn't like me saying basically, I'm sorry. Um, the 
basically the beer. I said that basically again. This is going to be impossible. 